The Welsh Wire, where talent and business connect in West Michigan. The Welsh Wire features moderator Mike Rogers and professional recruiting expert Sherry Welsh in this weekly podcast. Listen in as leaders from a wide array of small to mid-sized West Michigan companies weigh in and share their experiences and insights on a variety of business topics, including employee retention challenges and recruitment success stories. Hi, this is Mike Rogers with another great Welsh Wire conversation. Now, here's Sherry Welsh. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Welsh Wire. We are so glad to have you with us today. We've got a special guest with us today, Dr. Paul Isley. Paul is the Associate Dean of Undergraduate Programs at the Seedman College of Business at Grand Valley State University, and we're thrilled he could be with us today to talk about a big challenge. Paul, thanks for joining us on the Welsh Wire. Yeah, my pleasure. The challenge we're addressing today is the talent shortage issue, which is on everyone's minds. We're all talking about it. But what we're going to unpack today is something you've probably not really heard before, and that is the real reason that we have a talent shortage. We're going to seek to answer the question, where did all the workers go? So before we get into that, I'd love for Paul just to tell us a little bit about his background. And Paul, share with our listeners, you know, how you got into really studying economic trends and labor market data, particularly in West Michigan. Yeah, I I got my PhD in economics and got my first job here in West Michigan, and I've been here ever since. And as a result, I really uh, spent a lot of time worrying about and thinking about what made West Michigan drive? What made us different than the West rest of the state? What things could we sell? Um, and so that was really, really important to me. And that really fits into my very analytical background where I grew up with a dad that really was into the history of things. Mm-hmm. And I have a physics degree, which gives me those technical skill sets. So, so that's really what drives me. I love that. And I've had the privilege of hearing you speak and do presentations before, and you do such a great job of unpacking what can really be uh, difficult information sometimes for lay people to understand, but you really bring it home so nicely. And today you're going to share some of your research on recent labor market trends. And um, listeners, I'm going to tell you right now, his data is fascinating. Um, I promise you, you will see the talent shortage in West Michigan in a whole new light after you hear what he has to share. So, Paul, let's begin. Let's first talk about a key demographic within the working age population, and that's workers age 20 to 24. Why do we need to be concerned with that sector of the working age population in particular? Well, that's the group that's coming into the workforce. So that's where you're finding your your low-skilled workers or your entry-level workers to really kick off your business. And we've been fooled because of that big bubble of millennials to think that we have lots of people coming through. The problem is, is that millennial group peaked way back in 2014, 2015. And since that time, the number of new 20 to 24-year-olds has been cycling down. And in fact, we're down uh, more more than ten percent from our peak just just seven years ago. So that's that's a big deal. That is a big deal. That's a radical shift. So, what does the future look like then for that sector? I mean, it's kind of skinny. 
Yeah, it is. The one nice thing about uh, labor supply chains is they're 18 years long. <laughs> so we can go back and we can actually look at how the birth rate is doing and who's in kindergarten, who's in high school and project out. And realistically, although the, how fast it's been coming down has slowed, it's still going to keep going down for the rest of this decade. And it doesn't really flatten out until we get to that 28, 29, 30 time frame. And there it flattens, but it doesn't start going back up again. Okay. So this is a long-term systemic issue we really have to pay attention to. Okay. Yep. You also share some interesting data on why people are not working in Michigan mm-hmm. and why perhaps they're even unlikely to come back. Tell us about what your research says there. Yeah, a lot of this comes uh, directly or indirectly from the Census Pulse survey. Uh, But what we can see here in Michigan is that Michigan had a higher retiree rate than what we saw in the rest of the country. So if we ask people who aren't in the labor force, why aren't you there? 50% of them tell us they're retired. 13% of them. Yeah, that's a big number. And let me ask you, I mean, have you unpacked that number in more detail? I don't know. Do you know if it's kind of early retirees, like people that retired at, say, 55, 58 instead of 65, 68? Yeah, we pulled some retirements forward during COVID. We saw that happen. It was it was pretty strong. And for two years, what we called the unretirement rate actually dropped and was half what it normally is. So the unretirement rate is the people who were retired and stopped being retired. Yep. You know, over the course of the last year is that unretirement rate has now started to go uh, back to normal. All right. And in fact, it looks like as we go through this year, it might pass normal. So we might see more of those retirees trying to get back into the labor force. Which would help us. It's not a bad thing. Probably the higher wages tease a few of them out or maybe some of those early retirees that got, as you say, moved forward and COVID decided this really isn't so fun after all. (laughs) And they've gotten they've gotten hit by by higher prices. So a lot of them and, and a slower stock market than what they were used to over the last 10 years. So a lot of their planning expected slower prices and higher returns than what they're getting. So there could potentially be a little bright spot there with what you describe as unretirees. Correct. The employer just has to be willing to to look at older workers with more experience. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is a a very interesting shift. Another interesting data point that you shared with me is um, understanding how demographics have affected wages. Yeah. So tell us more about this and, and what does that mean for us in the years ahead, Paul? Yeah, this is really, really interesting stuff because what we see is, remember that millennial group peaked in that entry-level workforce in about 2014, 2015. What we see is before that time that the wages of low-income workers, which are mostly young workers, grew slower than everybody else's. But now that we're starting to see that decrease in number of young workers, the wages for those workers are now increasing faster than everybody else's. We talked about this way back in 2018, that this was going to happen. And so this is not about COVID. This is not about the Ukraine. This is a fundamental shift in the fact that we don't have enough workers coming into the bottom end to serve burgers, to park cars, to clean up places. Yeah. Yeah. So 
what, how's that going to affect us over time? I mean, it seems like, is it fair to say that, you know, wages for those workers might be a little inflated? Yeah. So, well, right they, now? Feel inflated. they feel inflated because remember they were artificially deflated because we had so many of them as millennials. So if you're, if your perspective is the last 10, 15 years, you think, wow, I'm having to pay a lot for these workers. But in reality, if we compare these workers to what was happening during the 1990s, there's not a lot of difference. All right. Right. We compare them and, and the difference. But for the last 20 years, we've gotten used to that big bubble of millennials running through. And that drove down the price of, of entry level workers. And we got used to that. And we designed our businesses around that. And now that's gone away and it's never coming back. Yeah, that's a huge, huge shift. And that's a very challenging shift, too. There's a lot of wage compression going on within those generations, too, within an, within an operation based on years of experience and skill set. Yeah, the millennials came of age during the Great, Re, uh, the great Recession, mm-hmm. all right? And now they've moved up in their jobs just as entry-level workers see their wages rising. So the combination of those two things mean those millennials are, are being paid less relative to both the groups ahead of them and the groups behind them. And that's going to create an, an asymmetry now in middle management, where it was creating that asymmetry in entry-level workers five to 10 years ago. It's now going to start creating that in, asymmetry in middle management. Oh, it's all so tricky, but so fascinating to understand all these moving points. Let me shift gears a little bit and go to automation because you talk about automation and you said it's long been touted as an answer to some of our labor shortages, um, but we've never really fully embraced it until maybe recently. But now you're kind of asserting uh, this really makes a lot of sense. Tell us about that, Paul. That raise in entry-level workers' pay has now made things viable that weren't viable before. So my favorite example is the is the restaurant in Grand Haven that uses robots as bussers. Okay. And, and I was sitting, I remember sitting there screaming at the TV, this makes no sense. They're just doing this as a gimmick. And then they said how expensive the robot was. So I'm an economist. I put in maintenance costs and whatnot, and I calculated it out. And when you do that and you compare it to the wages that bussers were being charged or, or being paid. In 2018, it took two or three years to pay off that robot. Mm. Now it takes 10 months. Oh my gosh. Right? Wow. Now it makes a lot more sense to be replacing some of those low income workers with a robot. Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Some of the other data that you shared again indicates a change in the workforce with regard to the aging workforce. Mm-hmm. Our workers are aging. Yes. What does that mean for us today? Well, what we're seeing now is we have that millennial group that had that big bubble and they're being replaced yep. by fewer people in their coming into their 20s now. All right. So that that millennial group now is piling into their middle of their career. But we also have that baby boom generation who's hanging on a little bit longer. So if we look at things right now, we still have 25% of our workers, uh, or excuse me, we still have about 12% of our workers as 
No, 25%. We still have 25% of our workers being over the age of 55. All right. 25% over the age of 55. It's not realistic to think that it's going to stay. No, because the next generation coming up is Gen X. And there's so few of us that no marketer has ever spent any money marketing to us. They went straight from the boomers to the millennials because there's not enough people in Gen X to sell to. Right. So so we know that that next group is going to start pushing that number down. Those millennials are going to come up and they're going to do the same thing the boomers did 30 years from now. And right now we still have fewer people coming into the bottom of the pipeline. So if you figure 25% of the workers in West Michigan are over 55, 25% are under the age of 29. All right. Everybody else is in between and getting older. Right. That, yeah, that is also a very startling statistic as you look at it. And, and, and of course, birth rates in the United States continue to decline. Yep. Yep. And it's even more pronounced here in Michigan. All right. This demographic shift we've been talking about is bigger in Michigan than it is in almost any other state. And the reason for that is Michigan entered a recession in 2001 with the rest of the country. The rest of the country exited that in about six months. Michigan didn't. Essentially, Michigan had a recession which went from 2001 to the end of the Great Recession in 2011. All right. The rest of the country had good times in between. Generation X left and they had their babies in Georgia and Colorado and Texas. And that's why we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to get people to come back to West Michigan. Yes. And that is also a tricky proposition, is it not? Holy Mm -hmm. cow. So despite some of these challenges, there's some other interesting spots, bright spots, I guess, that you notice that, that Kent County right now in particular is kind of bucking the trend. Yeah, Kent County is really weird. It's really weird because it has more people in their 30s than over the age of 65. All right. That is just a stunning piece of, and it's part of what creates that energy and vibrancy downtown is younger group of people who come out, they're going out to eat, they're doing all the things that, that generate all of that activity and they're innovative, and they're coming up with new businesses. They're at that part of their career where that energy is just elevating all of us. That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And, you know, they're in also in that part of their career, too, where they become extremely valuable yes. to most employers, right? Because they've got some good experience in their careers, but yet they're not all the way at the top of the pay scale, so to speak, where they become really, really expensive, you know, I can only hire a couple of them because that's all I can afford, right? And my business, right? But in that in that demographic right there, in that age range, they are extremely valuable and extremely worthwhile and appreciated by employers for what they have and, and the um, salaries that exactly. they command. Unfortunately, so, Kent County is now trending to be starting to look like the rest of the country. So mm-hmm. almost every other county, almost every other place that we look, There are a lot more people over the age of 65 than there is in their 30s because that millennial bubble is moving along. Now that millennial bubble is moving into their 40s, all right, and then they'll be moving into their 50s. So we're actually going to see this reverse in the next five years as as we start to see those millennials age into their 40s. So that there will be another shift coming there. So enjoy it while it lasts, right? (laughs) Exactly. 
So, you know, and beyond just the aging of our talent pool, which is, you know, a fascinating topic in and of itself, but there are also changes happening to the racial and ethnic makeup of our workforce too. So tell us about that and and what that means for employers in Kent County in particular. Yeah, I mean, here in Kent County, one of the very interesting things for us is in reality, the only growing group of young workers, so looking at 15 to 25-year-olds, are Hispanics. Um, we're seeing a decrease in the number of whites in that age group. We're seeing a decrease in the number of African-Americans in that age group. Um, so right now, that change is really, really important. And it's it's hard because we also know we undercounted Hispanics by a large margin in the 2020 census. So in reality, this effect is even bigger than what the data is showing. That's really interesting. And I, I'm supposing it's somebody at a higher level than you and I that could tell us why that is. Yeah, Hispanics are just having larger families where African-American and white families are just not having as many children. I mean, is it a culture, cultural issue? I mean, I wonder about that. I don't really understand it. Yeah, I mean, certainly, certainly we're seeing larger families. Uh, certainly we are seeing immigration into the area at a greater rate. Um, and certainly we're seeing the aid, the ability for these families to to settle out and and have high incomes in the Hispanic really wow. themselves. So we're seeing Hispanic families generate new businesses at a rate where by the end of the decade, the proportion of businesses in West Michigan owned by Hispanics will match that demographic. And that's unheard of other places. That is really great news. That's exciting. So again, another bright spot in the midst of what is kind of some, you know, mixed information demographically, that is exciting. There's real potential there. Lastly, you assert that in general, our population growth is just simply not fast enough. We kind of touched on this a little bit, but it's just not going to be fast enough to keep up with not only the job creation, but the retiree exodus right. on the other end. So can you help us unpack that a little bit more? Yeah. So if you look at West Michigan, and I'm going to count West Michigan by the counties that the right place serves. So, so it's a big, broad West Michigan as opposed to a narrow West Michigan. All right. Across these counties, uh, most of the counties are not growing or are actually shrinking in population, all right? And on average across all of them, we're growing only at 1%, okay? However, the employment levels over 2014 to 2019, and the reason I stop at 19 is the data during COVID isn't so good. Yeah, it's wonky, yeah. Um, But as we watch that, that group is growing nearly 10%. So we've increased our jobs by 10%, but we've increased our workers by only one or 2% for the five years before COVID. You can't sustain that. You can't have your population growing that much slower than your employment growth. Yeah, that's right. It's simple mathematics. I think we can all understand that simple equation. That doesn't add up. No. And remember, of that group, of that population, we're skewing towards the older end of it. So it's going to get even worse right. faster. Right, right. It's only going to accelerate. Yikes. Okay, so in conclusion, Paul, it seems that demographic issues, many of which you just laid out, 
are a significant challenge to talent attraction and retention. So if you, you know, if you had to put a number on it, what percentage of our talent shortage right now do you feel can be directly attributed to these demographic issues? Right. And by shortage, I'm going to compare that to, to the five years after the Great Recession. Okay. Because I'm not sure that was normal, but that's what people think of as normal. And if we think about that, where we are today, about 80% of your shortfall is coming because of the demographic shift of fewer workers coming in and more workers retiring. That is astronomical. And that right there is the little piece of magic that I want our listeners to really grab a hold of. That's a staggering number um, that really really identifies what the problem is. And as I'm sure you've heard, like I have, people are wringing their hands over trying to figure out answers to, and and you can't solve a problem, right? You can't attack a problem and deal with it until you really understand what's at its core, what's at the cause, the root cause. So we can see, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, all the solutions people are looking at and going to is to solve that 20% not to solve the 80%. When I, I couldn't agree with you more. That's what I hear about all the time too. And it's frustrating to me because we're not developing the right solutions to attack the 80% of the problem, which means we're going to struggle. I mean, we we probably will be struggling for a long time, but we're going to get to solutions in a second and we've got some. So suffice it to say, this is not an easy challenge to fix, right? And one that we can really change the course of by ourselves. And, and so that that we have to acknowledge um, what's your estimate for a timeline as to how long this will be 80% of our talent challenge in West Michigan? How long do you think it will persist? Well, understand going forward, we're never going to have enough workers. All right. If we're going to do business like we did in 2015. Okay. So if you structure your business the way it was structured in 2015 with the labor needs that you had in 2015, you will always be short of labor from now on. Mm. That is a sobering statement, but something we need to take to heart. And you make the argument so clearly that change is needed. So if that's true, then all of us as business owners, leaders of organizations, we need to think differently in our approach to talent acquisition and addressing those shortages. Because as you say, what we've done in the past is just not going to work anymore. It's not going to be enough. So, but there are solutions and you've got some ideas. You've got some great ideas, Paul. So let's shift a minute and talk about things that businesses can do to mitigate these workforce demographic challenges. What? Give us a few thoughts. Well, the first one that everybody runs to is automation. So automation is a great way to decrease the number of workers you need. But what we already know is businesses across West Michigan are all in on automation. They're, they're doing it as fast as they possibly can. And the constraint isn't their willingness to invest in it. It's the ability to get it installed. So, so if you aren't thinking about automation, realize that you are one of the few not thinking about automation. All right. Um, but- right. And you make a really good point about that, that, you know, if you don't do it, your competitor might. <laughs> Right. So it's time to jump on it. And it can be a a simple thing as, you know, you gave a great example earlier. I'll tell you, I had um, a a lunch out 
last week at a restaurant that in the evening has full service wait staff and you know it's a wonderful place but they're open for lunch which i love because not a lot of places are open for lunch right now right still because they can't find talent you know what they did they staffed their operation with basically a kitchen crew and bar crew you sit at your table and you pull up your qr code right and figure out what you want to eat and then you just walk up to the bar and put your order in and when it's done, they bring it out to you. But there's no wait staff involved. Literally, someone from the kitchen is coming out and delivering your food when it's done. So, you know, it's not like we're trying to take jobs away from servers. And that example, we can't find servers. Right. And we can't be open for a lunch hour without it. But we're using QR code and the people that produce the food and the back of the house to still provide lunch service. I'm like, genius. And I don't mind at all. I don't mind at all. It's a business launch. I'm in a hurry. You know, I can run it on my time. It works great. But that's a, that's an example of very simple automation that yep. you can put in place. It doesn't have to be millions of dollars in expensive equipment. Exactly. Sometimes it's automation in your process as opposed to automation in your technology. So, so we have to get creative there. Um, and another way to do this is to realize that one of the things that's changed is the way people think about work. So these, it, this is people like this have existed through time, but a higher proportion now think of that not as if I work more, I'll make more money. They're thinking if I I need to work this much to be happy. Well, what happens when they reach this much? They stop working. So under those conditions, what they've determined is that they've they've they have this set point that makes them happy. As an employer, you have to start thinking, okay. Now, maybe I need to be thinking about job sharing, or I need to be thinking about part-time workers, um, or I need to be thinking about a part of a week shift so that uh, so that those workers stay with me through time. Because otherwise, in manufacturing, what happens right now is they come and they work for 60 days, and then they quit. That's right, because they can't, not, their needs aren't being met. Right. Their personal needs, their family needs are not being met. They gave it the old try. They got enough money to get by for a little while, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they quit. You are absolutely right. That's a great suggestion. So part-time workers, job sharing, love it. What else? So the other thing we know is those baby boomer, that baby boomer bubble is moving from entry-level workers to mid-level workers. So now's the time to be thinking, can I replace low-skilled workers with more skilled workers? All right. So can I pay somebody more and get rid of a few of these low skilled workers? We need to be thinking about that because for the next 15 years, you're going to have more people in that middle than you're used to having there. Right. Take advantage of that. Yeah. The upskilling. Love that. That's a great suggestion. So and then I'm thinking about the one last little piece that we can see from that pulse survey that we were talking about earlier Um, at the height of of COVID, 9% of the people not in the workforce weren't there because they needed childcare. Yeah. That's astronomical. Yeah. Huge. You know, one in 10. Now it's down to 4%, but it's still 4%. And it's been persistent. Yes. It's a number that's just not seeming to go away and shrink. No. And, and it's expensive. So finding a way to get your workers uh, childcare is going to do an awful lot towards convincing them to stay with you uh, and and work with you. And that could even just be as simple as thinking about shifts that match up with a school system 
as opposed to uh, as opposed to your traditional shift structure. Right, right. Thinking differently. And, you know, if you uh, listeners want to dial into a little bit more on that child care issue, a few months ago on the Welsh Wire, we did a real in-depth conversation with um, an employer in West Michigan who has a, a daycare and child care and pre-K program on site for their employees, right? And we also talk a lot about what the state is doing with some of the programs and the money that they're putting in to help employers do programs on site uh, or help their employees find childcare and and, um, provide subsidies for that. There are lots of options available and I encourage you to go back and listen to that show if you've got interest in that because we give a lot of good data about that, which we can't get into right now. But Paul, you make a great point that that if, if you could help solve that again it doesn't it doesn't solve everything for every job for every person but we're trying to get a few wins here right it could bring you what if it increases you know one or two percent more of people that come into your talent pipeline right yep. as a result it's huge it's and, huge and one weird one try and avoid or try and think about bridging between forty thousand a year and fifty thousand a year because we, between those two numbers is is a benefits cliff that happens in Michigan if you have a small family. And so yeah, so often people don't want to make that move between 40 and 48 because you actually lose money in the deal. So so you have to think about how do I structure my pay to avoid that cliff that they're going to get when their SNAP benefits go away. Yep. And I have heard that too. And that does hold people back, sadly, the very thing that we're trying to do and help them along and advance their lives, right? And get independent sometimes boxes them in. That's a really great point to take a look at that. I'm going to jump in with a few from wearing my talent acquisition hat too. I'm going to jump in with a few things that I, I'd love to share. Um, you know, one thing is an overarching thing, but that is really rethinking our entire approach to talent acquisition, right? Because in most organizations, it's relegated to human resources and, and maybe your recruiter or a couple on staff. And um, I'm just going to rock your world and tell you that I think moving forward, talent acquisition needs to be front and center of every person in the organization. And it's more than just employee referral programs, but from your CEO all the way on down, you've got to find a way to engage everybody in being a talent acquisition maven, right? And promoting your organization and helping to bring the, and attract the right people to the company. There, That's a whole separate podcast in and of itself, but I really think it requires a radical shift from the top on down. Um, another thing I, I think that in general, we don't do a great job of, and that is really nurturing our middle school and high school students with career introduction, like get out there and talk to them about job opportunities and career paths that are available in your organization. Trust me, as those kids finish high school and are making career choices, you know, and and life choices for what they want to do, they're going to remember the organizations that invested in them and helped to shape their future. Um, You're going to build a pipeline right there. And um, this is one of those things that if you don't, your competitor will. So take it or leave it. Paul, I think you'll love this suggestion, but interns, interns, interns. It is amazing to me. Okay, my story is I am an intern, not from Grand Valley, I'm sad to say, from Central Michigan University, but that's what brought me to Kalamazoo. I came to Kalamazoo on an internship. Long story short, built a business and never left, right? Internships work. 
And if you're not finding a way to get interns into your business and bring great talent in at the ground level, you're missing such a wonderful opportunity. I'm sure Paul would love to talk with you about that all day. Yeah, we will. Uh, but uh, but the key is, is always to find the right office in whatever school you're dealing with. Um, often people will not get to the right person. And so they'll be trying to create internships and nobody knows about them. So, so here at Grand Valley, you can, you can get started pretty quickly through career services. An easy call. It's a real easy call to make and easy to find out who to call and how to, how to get in contact with someone right through your website. Excellent point. And then the last thing, just to add, and we kind of touched on this earlier, is the whole retiree issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we had so many people that that did that, push that retirement forward in COVID, and as you say, are now unretiring. Wow. If you bring them back on a contract basis for some projects or things, or even on a part-time basis, do all you can to bring them back. Or better yet, when they're announcing their retirement, don't let them leave. Find a way to keep them, right? Two days, three days a week, whatever it is, six months out of the year, whatever it is, but to keep that institutional knowledge and that valuable employee still part of your organization, but allowing them some freedom to um, to enjoy life too. Um, so, so many things that we can do to attract and retain talent in the organization. And I doubt that any of these will be the magic answer for our listeners and solve all the issues, but you know, implementing a few here or there as they apply to your operation and your business, it could have a major impact. But I think what we're trying to do today is to encourage you to really adjust your approach and think differently now that you understand the challenge as Paul has so clearly laid it out for us. It's been really helpful. So for our listeners that want to get more information, listen, you can go to our website, welshandassociates.net backslash resources, and then hit the podcast and blogs. You can pull down a blog and look at the slides on Paul's data if you really want to dig into it. It's fascinating stuff. Um, But boy, Dr. Paul Isley, Associate Dean, undergraduate students at Grand Valley State University, we have been so honored to have you as our guest today on the Welsh Wire. It's been awesome here talking about things I love to talk about every single day. Oh, same. What you've shared has been so invaluable. You've given us so many good things to think about. And I think really inspired us as business leaders and owners to make some solid changes for a brighter future in West Michigan. So thanks for being with us, Paul. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Welsh Wire. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. For more information, visit welshandassociates.net.